Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the Gospel of Matthew. Today we're continuing in the eighth chapter. Uh, remember yesterday, Jesus got in a boat with the disciples, said, I need to go to the other side, which would be the other side of the lake or the Sea of Galilee. And so he he got a boat, and they went, and they had a storm in the middle of the lake. And my argument is that that storm is supernatural. And the argument was because uh, the, the, the men who were in the boat with Jesus were experienced at navigating that particular body of water. And so they get overwhelmed, and they come and ask Jesus to save them. They know he's a carpenter. <laughs> they know that he is, he is not a man with great experience on the Sea of Galilee, and yet they go to him for salvation because they understand this is more than quote, normal weather on the, on the sea. And so he calms it by speaking a word, and my argument is that as he's going where he's headed, which is the, the country of the Gadarenes is the way that Matthew defines it. It's called in Luke and Mark, it's called the country of the Gerasenes, and there are two different people groups in the area known as the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. And they most of these were started way back in the 4th century B.C. by Alexander the Great, who populated them with his soldiers and others. And, and so it was an outpost of his empire. And it remains an outpost, and now it's an outpost of the Roman Empire at, this, at the time of Jesus. And so they're, they're heading over there, and most Jews wouldn't go over there because it was outside the land. It was in the, the province, the Roman province at that time of Syria. It had been removed from the, the province that was overseen by Herod at the time of the death of Herod the Great in um, around 84, AA period, D period 4, um, and moved over into the province of Syria. And so there was a lot of pagan worship there. Roman gods were worshipped there, um, and as were the nymphs. So there was a great deal of pagan worship in this area, and Jesus is headed that way. And so there's some textual issues here. Um, one is, is it Gadara or is it Gasara? Well, it's neither <laughs> in a lot of ways because neither of those are on the other side of the lake. It, the country of the Gadarenes makes perfect sense rather than saying he was going to to Gasara or Gadara, either of those two, because it's in that region and it explains where he is. But the, but the people who would read it would understand that this means that he was in that region, but it's clear that he's just on the other side of the lake. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, see, so so it's that land, that region, but he's just on the other side of the lake. Both those would have been a couple hours walk away, Gesara and Gadara. So he's in that region. And then what we get is something that will surprise us in Matthew. Two demon-possessed men met met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. So Matthew is the only one who tells us there are two, right? So so there there are plenty of of good scholars who who talk about what's possibly happening here. But the most persuasive one to me comes from a group called thirdmill.org. 
um, scholars, teach, teachers at Reformed Theological Seminary, um, wonderful, wonderful guys, um, the, the people, people that I really trust. So it's thirdmill.org. If you just look up one or two demon-possessed, um, third mill, T-H-I-R-D-M, like Matthew, I-L-L, dot org. If you look it up, you'll see the apology, the, the apologia for, for this, and I'll, I'll I'm not going to make you go there. I'm going to tell you what it is. But if you want to see the whole thing, I want to tell you where to go find it. So at any rate, so what you get there is is that they they see a difference between Matthew's account and Mark and Luke's account, and not just in the fact that there are two here and one in the other two. No, the main difference they they see is is that that those gospel accounts actually focus on something slightly different at the end of the uh, the account, and that is they focus on the demoniac. So he wants to come with Jesus. Jesus tells him to stay there, blah, blah, blah. Here, we don't see that at all. And so the the, the speculation, apologia, however you want to say it, is is that, that, yep, there were two of them, but only one of them wanted to come and follow Jesus. And so Mark and Luke chose to focus on on uh, the the one who wanted to come and follow Jesus, and here we're not we're not told this at all. It reminds me, in some ways, of the men on the cross. Um, if you think about it that way, that there were three men, Jesus being the middle, and the other two, one of which one of whom said, um, "Remember me when you come into your kingdom." And Jesus says, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." Um, and so it 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 would sound kind of like that to be honest with you, that that one is grateful for what Jesus did here in the country of the Gadarenes, the Gerasene, demoniac, whatever, that that one would be grateful enough that he wanted to come and follow Jesus, and the other one wanted to stay there, um, didn't didn't have any interest in following him. And so that, that's what it reminds me of when I read that. And it, it makes sense that that would be the case, and especially because that's what the focus is of Mark and Luke's gospel accounts of that story are they focus much more on the person himself, uh, and so here it's not that way. And so the the suggestion is is that that they're focusing on the one guy, and there there could easily have been two, just because it says there was one guy there. It, it doesn't say there was only one guy there. That's the best way to, I think, probably get at it. But anyway, go if you want to look it up, go to one or two demon possessed men thirdmill.org. So anyway, so two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Man, there's a lot going on there, right? (laughs) There's a lot going on. These people are, these two are not pagans. I mean, they're not, they're not Jews. They're pagans probably. And Jesus comes here to deliver them. I mean, it's clear that Jesus came specifically to do this. He, that's that he he knew this, and and so it, obviously he had compassion, but also there's a demonstration of power that goes on here. So who are these men who cry out, "What have you to do with us, O Son of God?" Well, the first question you have to ask is, what voice or voices are speaking here? Are the voice is the voice? Are the voices, whichever way, uh, the voices or voice of the men, or is it the voice of something else? 
and and the reason I would suggest that it's that's almost certainly not the men themselves speaking in their natural flesh, um, because they're referring to him as the Son of God. That's not. I mean, it's interesting that that is that is an appellation, uh, which is not the same as the mountain range. Um, it, it's it's not a, a term that has been used in the gospel before. This just jumps way out of the blue. It's not used in uh, in Israel, in all the the things that Jesus, the the encounters Jesus has. This is really unusual that he is called O Son of God. So it it it, it would leap out, and and I can't imagine what the disciples thought. Now these men, clearly in the natural flesh, didn't recognize Jesus as a son of God. So we know that from the very first statement, that this is not these men speaking naturally. And and then we know it even more by this next statement. Have you come here to torment us before the time? That can't possibly be these men. Jesus is not there to torment human beings. He's not there to torment men. He's there to do something else. And what does before the time mean? Well, there is to be a time, right, when they're judged, when they are bound and thrown into the lake of fire. There's a time when there will be torment for these spirits that inhabit these men. So this is not men speaking. It's voices coming from men's mouths, but it's not men speaking. These aren't demon-oppressed. These are demon-possessed. So the, the, the words that come are not spoken by the men. They're spoken by the demons through the men whom they possess. I, I can't even begin to imagine what all this looks like and sounds like to the disciples who are with him. They're in the tombs. I mean, shouldn't be among the dead to start with. I mean, they're so ritually impure that they're in the tombs, that it's unbelievable. They're, they're not going to be able to go to synagogue or temple for quite some time after this encounter. So now you've got tombs, so you've got dead people, and then you've got— and, and so remember one of the things that they had to do in Jerusalem, for instance, um, during Passover and other pilgrim feasts, was they had to whitewash the tombs. And so Jesus, at, at, the, at the last week of his life, compares the, the scribes and the Pharisees to whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but they, on the inside they hold dead man's bones. Well, why were the tombs whitewashed? It's because when you had these pilgrim festivals, what you had to do was <clears throat> you had to mark the tombs so that people could avoid contact with, with the dead. And so they had to keep give wide berth to the dead. And so they, they whitewashed the tombs so that people who were coming to Jerusalem, who were pilgrims, could know and therefore avoid that ritual defilement and therefore participate in the Passover. So that's already, this is hugely problematic that they have come into the tombs. But again, I, I see this in the same way as I see Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. What did I tell you there? That's the domain of the demons is in that place, in, in, the, in the wilderness, in those waste places. And now here he's gone directly into the abode of the dead, and, and he's being confronted immediately by two men, 
but what's actually confronting him are two demonic or demonic entities. I'm not going to say there's two because there's more than that. So, so they immediately recognize him as the Son of God, which we see all through the Gospels. When, when demons come, they recognize him. And there's power in that knowledge is the presumption. And so that's the reason they're going to refer to Jesus in this way, because they believe that it has power. The naming itself has power. So then they want to know, are you going to come to torment us before it's time? In other words, they're basically kind of saying, hey, there's a grand bargain, and and we have freedom to do what we want until that time. Are you coming here to torment us before that time? In other words, you're, you're, you're coming out of order here into this place. Now, a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. Now, here we are again. We've got all this ritual defilement. They come into the Decapolis, which is already, by some Jews, would have considered them to be defiled by having contracted that defilement through touching the soil of the place, much the same way that Naaman, the Syrian leper who comes and is healed by washing in the Jordan River at the behest of Elisha, when he goes back, he recognizes the God of Israel now. He recognizes as Yahweh, as, as the, the true God. But what does he want? Well, he wants permission to carry some dirt back with him. And why does he do that? Well, it's because he recognized the territoriality of God's, which is what we see, again, in, in what happens after Babel, when God um, parceled out the world, the nations, uh, according to the number of the sons of God, and then his choice portion was Israel. And then again, we see it again in, in Deuteronomy 32, 7 and 8. We see this whole thing. So so Naaman wanted dirt because he recognized God was God over a territory. Jesus comes to extend that kingdom all over the world. That Israel in the land was meant to display the glory and the goodness and the grace of God because, because of the blessing that he would give them by their being in the land under his protection and his blessing. He would, in that way, remove the curse on the land to make it superabundant in that place. Jesus comes and says, all territory belongs to me. And so we, as his representatives, go into these kind of places, and we go there to extend his kingdom all over the earth in the same way Adam and Eve were intended to extend the kingdom of God all over the earth at their time. So now we see we've got tombs, we've got the Decapolis, and now we have pigs. This is just great. From a Jewish perspective, you couldn't have much more defilement problems than you have already in just three verses. <laughs> verses 28, 29, and 30 tell us all this defilement. Jesus has left the land, he's gone into the tombs, and now there's pigs, and he's dealing with demons. I, I just don't see how it can get much worse. And so, so the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. Now, so they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. Now, that will be punishment for these demons at the end of time. They'll be sent to the lake of fire, and they will be tormented forever. They're just saying, your time hasn't come yet, Jesus. You, you can't do that. And so they knew that he wanted them out of these men. Why? 
Why is it okay to go into the pigs and not the men? Well, the men are creating the image of God. They belong, therefore, to Jesus in the same way that Jesus demonstrates that when they, bring, when they ask him if it's all right to pay tribute to Caesar, and he asks for a coin. And, and he looks at it, and he says, tell me whose who's image and inscription is on that coin. And they said, well, it's Caesar's. And he said, yeah, give that to Caesar then. Give God what belongs to him. So whose image bearers are we? So we owe him our lives. Is what Jesus said, and here it's the same thing. It's 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 a matter of he's claiming these men as his own, and the proof of that is they bear his image, and they know this. That the, the, these demonic entities know this, and so they beg him, "If you cast us out, I mean, we don't know exactly what your intentions are, but we're kind of guessing that's what it is, and you have the power to do exactly that. We need permission." If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And so you see who has all the power here. They're attempting to take power by naming Jesus as the Son of God. I know your real identity is what they're saying, and yet Jesus is having no part of that. And so they beg him, and that's important. They have to beg Jesus. If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs, which recognizes the reality that he has power to do something totally different than that if he wants to. He has all the power in the world to do that very thing. And he said to them, go. So he gave them permission to go there while at the same time commanding them. So they came out and went into the pigs. Behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Now, does that mean the demons were drowned? That's a totally different question. Totally different question. I believe there's a different reason that they do that. And, and I'm going to end up talking about it tomorrow because I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this, uh, on the rest of this and talk about it. So um, anyway, that'll, that'll hold us for today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.